You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning. Welcome to SciFair Christian Church. Good to see all of you here this morning on such a beautiful day. Um, if you are a visitor, if this is your first time here, we would love to know that you are here. Uh, in the seat pockets there in front of you by the Bibles, there's a, there's a connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out. And then on your way out after the service, there's a big kiosk in the foyer. Take the, take the connect card to the kiosk and we have a gift waiting for you. So go ahead and fill those out and turn those in on the way out. A couple things before we get started I wanted to share with you. Uh, we have two big events coming up for, for kids. One is the Crazy Cool Friday, which is for kindergarten, first, and second grade. And if you have kindergartners, first graders, second graders, uh, it's an all-night thing. You can drop them off, and then, yeah, you get a night away. Uh, we also have uh, Superstart coming up, which is for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. They'll be going to Dallas. Uh, it's a CIY event. It's a great time. So look for information on that on the website. You can find that at uh, the website and then hashtag or slash events. So Crazy Cool Friday and Superstart are both coming up for your children. Uh, also for students, we have the Tanglewood Midwinter coming up, which is the last weekend in January. And today is the last day to sign up and get the early bird cost, which is $65. If you sign up tomorrow morning and send me an email and tell me that you forgot, there's nothing I can do about it. I've got to get us signed up tonight. So sign up for the $65 cost. They've not told me what the next cost is going to be. It might be $300. It might be $1,000. We don't know. So sign up today. Don't forget to sign up today. Uh, And finally, next week begins sign-ups for our life groups. So if you've never been involved in a life group here, This is the best way to get to know people. This is the best way to grow in your faith in smaller groups where you're discussing scripture, you're praying together, you're doing life together. Uh, So I strongly suggest next week to get signed up for one of the life groups. They'll be starting in early February. Uh, So next week when you come in, there will be a table in the foyer. Uh, There will be a lot of information. So just start praying about that this week, which group that you want to get involved in, uh, which group you want to participate in, help in, uh, and do life together with other people. Wow, it's so awesome to see all of you this morning. This is the first Sunday of 2019, amen? Come on, give it up, give it up. (laughs) And we are really super honored to be here today to honor God in our very first offering this morning of 2019 as well. So praise God. It's good to see a full house this morning. I'm excited to be here. My name is Rick McNabb. I'm one of the elders here. And speaking of giving, uh, giving is also going, right? So I want to share with you an opportunity coming up very soon that you can get involved in, and that opportunity is called Perspectives. So on um, Monday, in about two or three weeks now, Monday, January 21st, from 6.15 to 9.15 p.m., come hear what Perspectives is all about. We'll be hosting uh, Steve Hawthorne, who is a co-editor of the Perspectives Reader and also the author of the Perspectives Study Guide, and he works with a group called Waymakers. It's an awesome team that mobilizes missionaries around the world and uh, locally. Uh, he's going to be teaching a session called The Living God is a Missionary God. So what a, what a great way to kick off our giving this year to have missions in mind uh, on this very first Sunday of the year. 
Uh, for more information on that, you can contact uh, doris.scott at perspectives.com or our very own Doris Scott here at CFCC. Amen. So let, let's pray as, we, uh, as ushers come to take our offering this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us um, this last 12 months. Father, you blessed us in so many ways. We ask you to give us, give us wisdom, give us knowledge, open doors this year as we go forward in 2019. And we ask you to bless this offering to all those who are in need of your love and your salvation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again, and uh, welcome to Sci-Fi Christian Church. Perspectives, um, just, to, just to let you know, is a, is a game changer for your discipleship. Uh, I would encourage you to check it out. At least go to this first class that Rick was just talking about. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for people who, who are passionate about missions. Perspectives will change your view of how you see yourself in God's story. It's amazing. No matter if you've been a part of church your whole life or you're a new believer, I encourage you to check it out. Um, this morning, again, it's our first Sunday of the new year. So glad to have each and every one of you. Over the, the last few days, maybe on New Year's Eve, you found yourself saying a prayer for the new year. Maybe on New Year's Day, you found yourself praying a prayer for the new year. God, Give me a fat bank account and give me a skinny body and don't mix it up like you did last year. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you, you made some New Year's resolutions and, and you resolved to accomplish your goals of 2019 that you should have done in 2018, that you promised to do in 2017, that you planned to do in 2016. Maybe, maybe you're one of those. Maybe you were praying, you're one of those praying over your prosperity beans, those black-eyed peas, a big old heaping pile of them and some cabbage, praying that God would provide for you and direct and guide your steps in 2019. Maybe you made a list of goals. Maybe you have a vision for what 2019 looks like. Maybe you're one of those people that has a long list of resolutions uh, if you're anything like me, your resolutions go in one year and out the other. They don't really make a whole lot of difference. But um, you, maybe you found yourself making these plans and thinking about how God was going to act in your life and, and, and asking him to guide and direct you over the new year. In some ways, these prayers are no different, though, than the people of ancient Israel, um, and while they didn't necessarily celebrate the new year like we do, they celebrated a new king. And their prayers were the same. Their prayers were no different than ours. But their prayers weren't for their own prosperity and their own wealth and their own blessing. Their prayers were for the prosperity and the blessing of the king of a new ruler. And today we are looking at a passage of scripture. This is believed to be possibly the last psalm that David wrote. Now, it's in the middle of the psalms, just about, or, you know, about a, a third of the way in. It doesn't necessarily, that means, you know, there's more psalms written by David later on in the psalms, and chronologically, many people believe that this is the last psalm that David wrote. Some, of, some people actually believe that this is a psalm that Solomon wrote, a prayer that he wrote of himself, for himself, 
on the day of his coronation. We're not exactly sure, but this is what we call a royal psalm. It's a psalm written for Solomon on the day that he would be crowned as king. And it was a prayer that the people would pray and recite together as they ushered in this new king. Now, this was a huge day, the year of uh, the people of Israel. This was a huge moment for them. As you can imagine, their king and their new ruler was about to be crowned. And maybe they were still grieving the previous king's death. Maybe they were glad that they got rid of that last king. And they're now looking forward to this new king. Um, But they've got all of their hopes that this king, this one that would be crowned, would be the king that they had hoped for. He would be the one to deliver them from the things that they needed deliverance from. He would be the one who would be a king like David, who all of their hopes and all of their dreams had, they had been praying for. And so if you imagine this day, okay, if you just sort of set yourself in the scene, maybe uh, all the pomp and circumstance of like the, the royal weddings and the, the, the presidential inaugurations combined, okay, set yourself in the scene, noisy, triumphant, just crazy crowds of people had gathered, caravans of citizens had gathered around Jerusalem, coming down the hills and up toward the Temple Mount, people all along the way, trumpets blaring, dancers somersaulting, this joyful procession was making its way toward the temple crowds shouting and then at the moment the priest began to break out the oil and pour it over the king there was a hush over the crowd as the sacred oil flowed over his head down his beard and then onto his feet and on to the ground this is the picture so see the moment and let's read psalm 72 Psalm 72 is up on the screen for us here. Give the king your justice of Solomon, it says. Verse one, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Yeah, that's in the Bible right there. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute and may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. 
May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains, may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. And then this doxology at the end, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Beautiful, beautiful psalm here. A dream for the people of Israel, of a, a grand prayer for their king. And I want to point out like three things that I see that I notice here, and we're, we'll just kind of tease them out and look at the application for us here today. The first thing that you notice there in the very first verse, right from the beginning, is that the king is referred to as a royal what? A royal son, an interesting phrase there, Psalm 72, verse one. And this isn't the first time a king would be referred to as a, as a son. We hear this one other time in Psalm two, which ironically enough was the coronation of Solomon's father, David. And it says this, God says to the king, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ever heard that verse before? Interesting phrase there that he says, to the king. God basically adopts the king as his son, adopts him, and as, as he's taking the throne, he calls him his son. You see, in ancient Israel, a king was seen as a representative of God to the people. He was an ambassador for God. He was authorized with all the power and authority and, and decision-making by God to the people. Right? He was like he was like assuming the family business, right? So if you go to the son, the father owns the business, and you go to the son and you ask him a question or he tells you something, you can take it on authority that that's what the father believes as well. That's what the king is to these people. He is the representative of God. And all of the decisions that he makes are authorized by God, given to the king and and it flows down to the people. So all of these prayers that they're praying for the king, the blessing and the prosperity, the people know that if they pray these prayers for the king, that these things will flow down to them. They want their king to be blessed because he's blessed by God and thereby they will be blessed by him. All of the wrongs would be set right by this king and things would be put back into place to where they are. That's what their hope was in this king. So the first thing that we see is that this king is a royal son. He is seen as a son by the father. The second thing that we see in this, very simply, is the scope of justice here. The scope of God's rule and God's power in this psalm. In the ancient world, you would think that a king would be sort of localized to his own little nation, his own little neck of the woods, his own locality. But what we find in this psalm is something way bigger, right? What we find is that the desire is for this king to have global dominion, for his 
kingdom to be vast and wide and for kings of all nations to come and bow down to this king. I mean, that's a, that's a powerful prayer here. That's a, that's a big time prayer that these people are praying. Verses eight, and four, eight through 14 move from how the people of Israel are to be blessed to how this king who follows God, God's rule will have global impact. The scope of God's rule through this king and his justice goes far beyond Israel's borders out all over the world. The king, in essence, will be the king of the world, to borrow a phrase from Leonardo DiCaprio. The other rulers will come to bow down before him. And Israel's king will be worshipped by all because because of, of his care for the poor. You see that? They will worship him because of his care for the poor, his care for the needy, his care for the oppressed, his care for the marginalized. That's why these people, they see this from afar and they come to this king and bow down and worship him because of what he's doing for these people who are in need. The third thing that we see here as we read through this psalm is that this rain doesn't really have term limits on it. This rain goes far beyond just a a normal person's life. This rain is eternal. The king's reign is eternal. The righteousness and the justice and the peace that comes from this king, these will be the foundation of this king's rule through, it says, all generations. Not just his, not just the next, not just the next, but all generations. And his fame will be the focus of worship forever. Again, a grand prayer. So much so, his fame be the focus of, but that the whole world will be filled with his glory. Now, what's crazy about this is that this prayer calls for the the qualities of God to inhabit a man. These divine qualities that are being prayed for, they're, they're asking for these things to inhabit this human ruler. And what do we know about human rulers in the Bible? What do we know about human rulers in the Bible? What do we know about modern human rulers? What do we know about man? They're given to sin. They make mistakes. They're broken on a daily basis. And so this model for kingship that they're praying for in Psalm 72 is more than a challenge or a goal for this king. It's a prescription for failure. (laughs) Who can live up to this? Who can live up to what it says here in Psalm 72? As one writer puts it, the chasm between calling and capacity yawns under the feet of every king for whom that prayer was made. And to the precipice of this chasm, Solomon steps. Imagine yourself in his shoes. And while Solomon, scripture says, while Solomon comes closer than any other king in 
in all of Judah, I mean, out of all of the kings that they had, Solomon actually fulfills more of these qualities than anyone else. The queen of Sheba came to sort of honor and revere him for all of his wisdom and brought him gold. I mean, it's right there in the scripture that that happened. All nations surrounding Israel saw them as blessed. And yet Solomon, in all of his splendor and all of his glory, the Bible records still made mistake after mistake. And in the end of his life, there toward the end of his life, strayed away from the Lord. And so Solomon, on all of his glory, still fades in comparison to the golden king of Psalm 72. If you were here on Christmas Eve, uh, you might have heard Travis read, call all the children down to the front, and you might have heard him read the Jesus Storybook Bible. Any of you heard this book before? Maybe seen the book before? It's a great book. It's a kid's book, right? So you sort of dismiss it. But it's got so many cool gospel truths in it. And the writer, Sally Lloyd-Jones, is so gifted and so talented in and putting it down on paper. And she says this in the beginning of the book. She says, all of the stories in the Bible are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. She says, it takes the whole Bible to tell the story and at the center of the story is Jesus. And in this phrase, every story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name in all of scripture. You know, when you, when you open up scripture, sometimes you don't feel like you have the ability to, you know, to, to parse the verbs and know all the historical context and, and know what it's saying to you. You don't feel like you're a Bible scholar. You don't feel qualified to, to really just open it up and read it. But all you have to do is open it up and look for Jesus. He's there. He's in every story. He's in every word. What is the saying? The, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Jesus is there in every word, every story whispers his name. All you need is the Holy Spirit within you, which if you are a follower in Christ, you have And so open up the scripture and look for Jesus. He's there. He's whispering in every single word. So in other words, this psalm is whispering the name of Jesus. The earthly king that this scripture was intended for is only a shadow of the great king to come. Do you see it? Were you watching for it? Were you listening for it? Christ followers see that the prayer is for David's heir, but not Solomon. Not Solomon. It was meant for Jesus of Nazareth, through whom the God of the universe has already bestowed righteousness and justice and peace and victory to those who follow him. And so this scripture that we have here is one of the clearest pictures 
of Christ in the Psalms. In almost all of the Psalms, it's the clearest, it's called a messianic Psalm. And so when we read it, a lot of times we can just read it and look at it that it's for Jesus. It was written for Jesus. It was written for Solomon, but it was really sort of a prophecy and it's really looking toward Jesus. And so the writer is really painting this picture. It's for the Messiah. It's for him. And so we just sort of take it at face value. But if we do that, we're missing a huge, huge lesson here today that I want to draw your attention to. Paul tells us in Ephesians He tells us that in love, God predestined us for adoption to what? Sonship. He predestined us in love for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That is who we are in Christ. We are sons of God. And when I use the word sons of God, I'm not, and I, I'm being, I want to be gender neutral there because the, the context there, son, is that it's the role of an authorized person, a person who's been given the authority and the blessing of God, okay? So when I say son, I'm talking sons and daughters. All of us in here have that same role. That's who you are in Christ, You are a son and a daughter of the king. We've been given the role of sons by God and as sons and daughters of the king, you and I are authorized representatives of the father. And so when we follow Jesus, check this out, when we follow Jesus in working for peace, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. Words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called what? Sons of God. When we follow Jesus in showing kindness to our enemies, Luke says, but love your enemies, again, quoting Jesus, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be what? Sons of the Most High, for he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. When we follow Jesus in obedience to God, Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are what? Sons of God. And as God's sons and daughters, his representatives, through us, people should be able to meet God. Francis Chan tells the story of of a man who came to speak at his church one Sunday. He was a missionary to the people of Papua New Guinea. And as he was telling the, the congregation about his ministry and about his mission, um, he got to the end and this man said, uh, I should really give the credit to Vaughn, who was my youth pastor who inspired me, who, who loved me and, and really challenged me to walk as Jesus did and share the gospel with others. And so the very next week, he says another guy came to speak at their church. And this guy was, was talking about um, sponsoring kids living in poverty and, and trying to engage the church in this way. And as he was 
talking about this, he concluded, this is no joke, he concluded his talk by saying, um, I'm, a, I'm involved in this, this youth ministry because of my, my youth pastor. His name was Vaughn, and he had an incredible impact on me. And so Francis Chan was like, what? It turns out these two guys had the very same youth pastor. So the following week, as a guy by the name of, of Dan come to talk about his inner city ministry in L.A., and he's talking to, to Dan beforehand. He was like, this is so crazy. Last week, both of our speakers had the same youth pastor. And they talked about what an influence he was on them. It was crazy. It was so wild. His name was Vaughn. And Dan's eyes widen. And he goes, I know Vaughn. Because he's, he, he's a pastor in San Diego. And he... he he takes teams down to Tijuana to serve the kids who are living in the slums down there. I was just down there with him just, just recently. And he goes, we would walk through the streets and it was the craziest thing. He would walk up to these kids and, and, and just hug them and love on them. And they knew his name and he would bring them gifts and he would find out ways to, you know, to, to get them uh, get him cleaned up and he'd give him food. It was the craziest thing, the way he loved them and way, the way they knew him and the way he cared for them. Everybody that he encountered, he loved with this kind of just crazy compassion. He goes, Francis, I, he goes, I thought to myself as I was walking down the streets with him that if Jesus were walking this earth today, that this is what it would feel like. He goes, this guy was was unbelievable. In all of my life, he goes, that's the closest I've ever felt to walking with Jesus, was walking with this guy named Vaughn. And Francis Chan goes, what a compliment. I mean, think about that, that somebody walking with you felt like they were with Jesus the closest that they have, had, had maybe ever come to actually feeling like they were in the presence of Jesus was serving next to you. You know, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter how many studies you've gone through. It doesn't matter how many years that you're a Christian. What matters is, do you look like Jesus? Do you look like him? Do people mistake you for Jesus when they're around you? And we kind of laugh at that thought, but that is what God is calling us to, to be imitators, to be Christ-like, to not be afraid of it. We're not saying we take upon the role and the responsibility of Jesus. Only one could die for us. Only one could save us. But we imitate Jesus in the way that we love and we care for one another, the way that we walk And so it doesn't matter what it looks like on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter what it looks like in your Sunday school class. In the whole of your life, what does it look like? Does it look like Jesus? At the end of the day, we don't need to be a bunch of academics full of all of this knowledge. We need to be people who are actually living out Christ's likeness in our our lives. Isn't that what all that knowledge is for anyway? Isn't that why we learn about Jesus? So that we can become like him, so that we can walk like him, 
so that hopefully we can be mistaken for him when other people are in our presence. Some of you have been studying Jesus for a long time. Some of you have been studying him hard and I'm really trying to to get these deep truths to really figure him out, to really consider all of these things about him. But are you really living it out? Are you living out what Jesus is teaching you? You've amassed great theological knowledge, but does your life look like his? And can you say like Paul is able to say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ? Scary thought. Scary thought, but that is the kind of life that God calls us toward. Can you say, look at the way I'm living and look at the way I'm loving and follow me? You, my brothers and sisters, are sons and daughters of the King. And as we go out of this place today, as we go from this place, I encourage you to live and love like Jesus. Look at this psalm and see it as as a benchmark, something to strive for, even in the smallest of ways. Don't shy away from it. You have sonship because you've been adopted as sons and daughters of the king. May we go out and live this way. Can I pray? Father, we thank you for, we thank you for your word today. And I thank you that even in the most mundane, seemingly mundane, small scriptures that we might not consider for us that you are whispering the name of Jesus and not only that, there's application for us. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who seek to be Christ-like, who don't sort of slough it off and leave it to the professional Christians, who don't leave it to the pastors and the preachers and the missionaries and the whatever, but that we see ourselves as sons and daughters who've been given blessing and victory and courage and the mind of Christ and wisdom and discernment. You've given us all of these things to be Christ-like. And I pray, Lord, that we would live it out in our lives, that we wouldn't just amass knowledge, Lord, but we begin applying what we're learning about Jesus. And this would be spiritual maturity for us. Lord, we thank you for this picture in the Psalms. And we thank you that though no man could meet this standard of Psalm 72, that Jesus did. That he is our only king forever. That he has dominion over this world. He has conquered sin. He has vanquished it. And he will vanquish Satan forever one day.
Lord, that there is blessing in him, there is peace in him, there is justice in him, there is righteousness in him. And Lord, the only way that we can become Christ-like is if we look to him. And so may we be a people, Father, who fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may you give us the strength to do this, even in the smallest of ways, Lord, in the smallest of ways. May we be your representatives as we go out of this place. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna take communion here as we do every single Sunday. And what better way to celebrate the king than to celebrate what he's done for us. It really and truly is a celebration. It's not a funeral dirge. You can go to these different places on earth and you can find the the tombs and the burial places of these religious leaders. You can go and 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 make a, a, a trek to see where Muhammad is or where the Buddha is. But if you go to the place of Jesus' tomb, you will find it empty. And so for that reason, we celebrate his body and his blood because in it we have resurrection. We take communion each and every Sunday here because it is central to who we are. It may not be in the center of the service every week, but it is central to our service every single week. And we take it by dipping the bread. So the server will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then you'll take that piece of bread and dip it as they say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And may we celebrate our royal heritage this morning. May we celebrate that we are heirs of the king and all of his blessing this morning as we come. I invite you to come forward. I invite you to stand here. We're gonna close here. I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you if you would like to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he is available to you today. Scripture says that in Christ we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of Jesus. That we don't have to be afraid because there's mercy in Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to come and meet him today. We have prayer partners up here who are available. We have them in the back too. If you need prayer for something you're going through, you are not alone. We are not meant to be alone, as Jeff said earlier. I came across something uh, a couple of, uh, couple of weeks ago. When a person goes to prison, they, they often live with murderers and thieves and the worst of the worst in society. And many of us can't think of anything worse than to live with those kinds of people and have to survive on a daily basis, right? But if you're in prison living with those people and you get in trouble in prison, you break one of the rules, how do they punish you? They put you in solitary confinement. What that means is there's actually something worse than being with all of those criminals and that's being alone. 
And so I encourage you today to step out of your isolation and step into community here today. If you need prayer, our prayer partners are available for you. If you're sitting in the pews and you don't need prayer, I encourage you to pray for one another. Amen. Father God, we just pray that you help us to put you on your throne where you rightfully belong in our lives, that nothing else is greater. You deserve all the glory, all the honor. And we, we promise, we try our best, but every day, you give us mercies new. Mercies new for a new day to put you back on the throne. Father God, just help us. Let your spirit guide us. Let your spirit fill us up. It's not our efforts. It's you working through us as sons and daughters. Father, we just thank you for this gift to us. We are victorious because of you. We ask all of this in the power of Jesus as we go out. Amen.